Podcast. We're back. We're a Cubs, White Sox, and MLB podcast. This is the Hall of Fame edition. I'm your host, Nick, and I'm joined again by the man whose popularity on Twitter grows exponentially by the day, the mayor of Section 509, Patrick Bovard. Pat, how are we doing today? You know what, Nick? It's I'm doing great. It's been a great offseason for the White Sox, which, you know, time and place. I'll temper my enthusiasm on this episode. Got Sox Fest coming up this weekend, but I am... Looking forward to finally being back on here with you and talking about our favorite subject and probably the one we agree with the most, the Hall of Fame voting process. Yeah, there's uh, there's a lot to get into there. Uh, just a side note, we will be also recording our off-season review this weekend for release next week. So if you had missed us, we're just really just going to pile it all at once. you think that's a good idea, Pat? Oh, there's nothing I like to do more than that. Okay, let's dive right into it because uh, the results just came back an hour and 43 minutes ago. We have two Hall of Famers. I will give them to you as they were announced to us. Starting off with Larry Walker, thank God. Uh, the SpongeBob shirt-wearing man himself when he accepted his uh, nomination or his indu- induction, I guess. Uh, Larry Walker's stats, they speak for themselves. I don't give a shit about where he played these games. He betted 313 on base percentage, 400, slugged 565 with a 72.7 war. Um, he had 383 homers, 1,311 RBIs, and surprisingly, 230 stolen bases. Pat, do you think Larry Walker deserved to be in, and do you think it should have taken 10 years for it to happen? Uh, I agree he should be in. He was on my ballot. He was, uh, I believe, number five or six on my ballot. He was in that second tier of guys where I knew I was going to have them on my ballot, but there weren't, like, no-brainer yes right away. I think the thing for him that me, for that really got him for me, is just that not only did he have great stats, but he had some of those years in the late 90s that were just absolutely insane. He hit over 350 in four seasons. Like, in 99, when he was in... In 99, he hit 379, and in 97, his MVP year, he hit 366 with his WRC was plus was 77% over league average. So I think, yeah, I agree with you. I think 10 years took way too long, but oftentimes that's kind of the kick in the pants the voter need the voters need to get the to get the guy in. So I'm glad he's in. It took too long, but at least it's over. Yeah, and not to mention he did it in the era, as far as we know, no steroid use, and all these guys that are not making it into the Hall of Fame, um, he was doing it with them and putting up better numbers than just about all of them besides Bonds. Yeah, on that note, I got a question for you, Nick. What do you think is a bigger performance-enhancing drug, steroids or playing at Coors Field? Because it seems like the voters have an opinion on that based off the 10 years it took to get Larry in the Hall. Yeah, you know what? I think... uh... The, the Coors Field enigma did a big number on Larry Walker, and the steroid guys are kind of getting a pass comparatively. If you think about it, playing at Coors Field, the ball travels an extra 30 feet, which means those those warning track power home runs go over. But that also means that those uh, you know singles up the middle that drop in front of the center field land right in the center fielder's mitt. So I really don't like using that um, that excuse to leave guys out. 
throwing this question back at you, Pat, do you think this opens the door for a Todd Helton Hall of Fame bid in the next, I don't know, three or four years? I think he'll get close. I don't think Todd Helton is in the same stratosphere as Larry Walker in terms of production, value, whatever you want to call it statistically. So I think he'll pick up some votes because I do think kind of like Edgar Martinez getting in a couple years back, this kind of lifts the stigma away where now finally there's the guy that's in, so there's a precedent for it. Um, so I think Todd Helton will pick up some votes, but I, I don't see him ever getting in, at least not without a veterans committee. But who knows? Sometimes these phantom 10-year uh, voting bumps do happen, so we'll see. Yeah, I think he'll get extra votes for what I like to call the good guy votes. Uh, mm-hmm. Todd Helton was seen as one of the really good guys in the league, much like about besides Jim Tomei, everyone says Jim Tomei is the coolest guy ever, but I mean, Todd Helton was one of the guys who his last couple of years in Colorado, he took uh, salary cuts so that the team could build around and not be as horrible as they had been in the past. So I think that om- that gets him at around 60%, and then once the years start to creep up, people will realize that he was very good. But I think him getting in the Hall of Fame doesn't happen without Larry Walker getting in in the first 10 years. Because if we had to wait for the Veterans Committee to get Larry Walker in, Todd Helton doesn't get in, I don't think. Oh, for sure, yeah. I, I absolutely agree with that. So, we're all in agreement, Larry Walker, Hall of Famer. Uh, he was also in all those backyard baseball games playing really well, too. So, that might have helped his cause as well with all the uh, the younger voters. Hey, that's what did uh, for me. Honestly, yeah. Um, the second man in getting only one vote short of being the second unanimous Hall of Fame uh, player was Derek Jeter. Uh, let's look at his career statistics. He had over 3,000 hits. We all know that. You know, 310 home runs. Exactly same number of RBIs as Larry Walker, 1,311, which I thought was kind of interesting. He batted 310 on base, 377, and a 440 slugging, so significantly lower in all categories than Larry Walker. Uh, one guy had the stones to say, no, you're not a unanimous Hall of Famer, and he was probably looking at the same defensive metrics I am, which were his career negative 243.3 defensive run saves. You and I both had Derek Jeter in. Neither of us had him as our number one player, if I'm not mistaken. Obviously, you think he should have been in, correct? Correct, yeah. I had him fourth, which he was the first guy in my second tier. So my first tier was Bonds, Clemens, Sosa, uh, which Sosa is a little bit of an interesting pick for most. But for me, my first pick of that second tier was Jeter. I personally think Derek Jeter is probably the most overrated baseball player I can remember. He was a good hitter, not great, but... He was, a, as we've you just said, a very bad fielder despite all those gold gloves. The thing is, though, I just can't in good conscience not vote for him to be in the Hall of Fame. He had 3,400-plus hits. He, you know, he was relevant for 20 years. He's an iconic player, and I hate saying this because I don't say it for much, guys, but he did win the five rings, which adds to his story, and you can't really describe the period of baseball from 20 or 1994 to 2014 without mentioning Jared, Derek Jeter near the top of that paragraph. So for me, he's in the Hall of Fame, not necessarily because of the numbers, but just because of how iconic of a player he was for such a long time. No, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, I was a very anti-Jeter, in fact, and it has nothing to do with the fact that um, his play didn't live up to it but it was because he was in you already got all that that hype mm-hmm. if he spent his entire career in cleveland he probably still gets in probably at about an 88 to 90 percent vote with all these stats he doesn't 
he probably doesn't get any gold gloves, if you ask me. And all those tremendous plays, not all of them, but a large amount of them, of him making diving catches and him sliding and making these big throws, he really wouldn't have to do those things if he was in the right positioning, if he had good positioning and better instincts. So he had to make diving catches because he didn't have a good break on the ball. You know what I'm saying? He was he, he made the flashy play, but the flashy play never really needs to be made except in extraordinary circumstances. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's it's like a thing. If he had better range, he wouldn't need to to jump like he wouldn't need to you know go be diving into the stands ten seconds after he caught the ball, like all of that stuff. And I think it's an interesting point you brought up. What percentage he would get had he played not in New York? I think a good comp for that is Craig Biggio, who got elected, uh, if I remember correctly, a couple years into his uh, candidacy with eighty two point seven percent of the vote. So I think that would be a good comp for Jeter had he played in a smaller market city. Yeah, and Biggio took him four years, and I was very vocal about how bullshit that was and how yep. he had 3,000 hits, yep. and if you have 3,000 hits, that should be an automatic ticket, much like 500, 500 home runs should be, but here we are. Um, that being said, I like that Biggio comp. Biggio was more versatile in the sense that he could also play the outfield positions. You could almost plug him anywhere. Jeter was shortstop, always shortstop. Um, a lot of people, But he also got the good guy factor, right? 20 yep. years, scandal-free, you know, the... Uh, Pretty much every kid was told to look at this guy and how to play the game, and it's, you know, I wanted him in just so that we wouldn't hear people complain. I'm so happy that he's not a unanimous. Agreed. I don't think I don't think Mariano should have been unanimous either. I think there are players like Ken Griffey Jr. and, and Willie Mays, and yep. those guys, you know, those guys should be are, are much better. You know, I think Ken Griffey Jr. is much better than uh, I think Mike Trout should be unanimous even as yep. of right now. Things like that. So unanimous, thankfully. Not for Jeter. That one person is going to have some issues once his name is his or her name is released. But I, I stand with them wholeheartedly. Yeah, I you know what I'm kind of glad somebody decided to be an asshole about it and not vote Jeter. And you know, just I like th- there's a bunch of guys that should be unanimous. But at least again, like the uh, Larry Walker getting in for the Rockies, we're past that now with Mariano last year. Right, moving on. So we've been kind of hinting at what our ballots would be, and if this show gets big enough, we will get some ballots. So this is good practice. Um, you were a little bit more scientific in, in breaking down your picks in tiers, which was really awesome, and I think it gave the readers on uh, LMBF Sports a really good insight to why you made the picks you did. So I'm going to let you go first. Give us that full breakdown um, that, you, that you did so eloquently on the blog. Yeah, so I, like you said, I broke my guys into three tiers. The no-brainers, basically, as soon as I saw their names, like, yes, not a thought, they're on the ballot. Those guys, for me, were Barry Bonds, who I'm not even really going to get into talking about. He's the greatest hitter of all time, arguably the greatest player of all time, and if you know anything about me, it's that I really don't give a shit about the uh, steroid era. In my opinion, baseball made its bed, now it has to lie in it, and you can't just erase 25 years of history, which... Slowly but surely, he's creeping up there. I think eventually he gets in, but I don't know. It's just, to me, it's embarrassing that he's not in the Hall of Fame, but it is what it is at this point. Um, We still got a lot of older guys voting that are all about integrity and that uh, damn character clause in the Hall of Fame uh, description that they use uh, when they feel like it, but not when it comes to accused steroid users that they like, like probably David Ortiz in another couple of years. Any event, next guy in my top tier was Roger Clemens, much like Barry Bonds. I think arguably the greatest pitcher of all time, at least statistically. He doesn't have the some of the you know just cartoon numbers from the early 1900s, like a Cy Young or a, you know Walter Johnson, but he's certainly up there. 
Seven-time Cy Young, an MVP as a pitcher, two-time Triple Crown. I don't think there's any argument against him except for the media didn't like him. Uh, moving on, last guy in my top tier. This is going to surprise some people, but it's Sammy Sosa. And I think like you kind of mentioned those automatic ticket numbers. Uh, 500 home runs, yes, but for me, 600 especially. Sammy Sosa hit 600 home runs he should be in. He, I mean, he was a seven-time All-Star. He won an MVP, but most importantly for me, for him, which I'm sure I'll dig into a little bit later on the program, the 1998 home run race between him and Mark McGuire is what everybody says saved baseball. And I take part of my Hall of Fame thought process is if you were to, you know, write a write a story about baseball and you were to go through all the years, could you leave these guys out of it? And if a, the answer to that is no, you cannot leave this guy out. He's a Hall of Famer, which for me means Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Sammy Sosa, without a doubt. Um, so for me, that's kind of why Sammy Sosa has that high of a presence on my ballot. Uh, the next tier of guys are guys who I think are deserving, were in almost automatically, but not quite with the same gusto as those first three. So for me, that's Kurt Schilling. He's just, you know, I mean, simply put a good pitcher for a long time. I think if you get into that story of baseball thing I just said, yeah, if you don't mention Kurt Schilling outside of that fake or real bloody sock, however you want to put it, you could probably tell a story without him. Uh, next in that tier was Derek Jeter. Uh, like we talked about, I think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame more based on his, uh, maybe like the, 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 the mystique behind him more so than the numbers. And then the last guy in that tier, which we already talked about, was Larry Walker. A really good player. Never the, like, you know, God-level player of some of these other guys, but a very good player for a very long time. And then we get into the last tier. So my guy's 7-9. to nine. Uh, First guy in that tier was Billy Wagner. And these were the guys I had to, to just to preface it, to research a little bit before I put them in. So for me, it's Billy Wagner, which, you know, I wrote about. I don't remember him being this great reliever. I just remember him being pretty good for a pretty long time. But when you look at the numbers, and I know some people don't want to put relievers in because they only pitch like an inning or two a game, but they're a position in baseball, and all you can really do is compare them to the guys that are in, and Billy Wagner blows them all out of the water. He's got the highest strikeouts per nine compared to the other guys in the hall by basically two strikeouts. Uh, his left on base percentage is better than anybody in the Hall of Fame right now that's a reliever. The only, uh, His FIP is better than anybody that's in the Hall of Fame right now. His ERA, the only one it's worse than, is Mariano Rivera. And his saves numbers are better than everybody but Trevor Hoffman and Mariano Rivera. So for me, that's a no-brainer. Oh, I'm sorry, Lee Smith has more than him too, but still. Uh, no doubter there. Scott Rowland is my next guy. Uh, very good defensive player, which we all know, but also had a few years there in the middle of his career where he was an excellent offensive player. And I think that combination for me, the constant elite defensive presence with a pretty good offensive you know, career, 281, 364, 490 slash line, 300 plus home runs. I think for me that, you know, that puts him in. And the last guy on my list, it was Manny Ramirez, 550 plus home runs. Um, you know, he has over 60 F4. He's got 2,500 plus hits. He hit over 300 for his career. And, you know, he was a, I mean, he's one of the most well-known players in the mid-2000s. So for me, Manny Ramirez is in. I think you hit a lot of good points, Pat. And I think people forget that this is a museum. And for museums to leave out big chunks of history is almost irresponsible. Yep. So if, you know, if, if they were going to allow steroids for this amount of time, then you can't condemn it after they're done playing when you're, you know, honoring them in such a way. So I agree with you, and that's why my list is similar to yours in a sense. Um, I'd be ready to throw Manny at the bottom once they swung the door open with Bonds and Clemens, but for now it's not on my list 
once they finally start allowing it, then all the guys whose statistics are similar to that should also get in. But this is how I ranked them, and mine was more of a, a gut feeling, how I liked them as a player, um, which really shouldn't be part of the voting, but it is, so here we are. Um, starting with Larry Walker, he was my number one um, for the reason that it was his last chance. He was an amazing player. He played more than half of his games away from Coors Field, so half of those statistics are accrued elsewhere, so that whole Coors Field BS um, doesn't really play a factor in my, in my judgment. I went Billy Wagner number two, and, and I will talk about him at length a little bit later and how, I one, I don't think he's going to get in, and two, I think that's a damn shame. Um, three, Barry Bonds, for the same reasons you have him. Four, Clemens. Five, Sosa. Six, Jeter, and seven, Schilling. Um, I mean, Bonds, the if you get walked intentionally with the bases loaded, you're on notice throughout the league that you're just a badass dude, and, like, everybody... Like, that happened more often... <laughs> Like, it happened a lot. It happened, what, had happened five or six times where the bases were loaded, the team was up, like, four runs. They are like, you know what, we'll give up the run. We'll go after Jeff Kent or whoever was behind him. Oh, yeah, no. He was he was intentionally walked almost 700 times in his career, and I, I'm i pretty sure he had one year there. I think it was 04. His OBP was, like, 600. Yeah, just because no one wanted to face this guy. I mean, that's the epitome of a Hall of Famer is that it strikes fear into the pitcher. I mean... I'm sure, like, Greg Maddox only had, like, I think it was, like, 170-something intentional walks. I'm sure I, a, a large chunk of them were to Barry Bonds playing in the National League most mm -hmm. of his career. But that that's kind of my rankings, and um, I kind of stick with them. I, for Scott Rowland, I'm not putting him there. Um, I feel like being a good fielder only matters if you're not that good of a hitter, and you did mentioned that he had a couple good years of hitting. I'm not discounting that. But, I mean, Omar Vizquel got 52.6% of the vote. He's knocking on the door of the Hall of Fame with only 80 career home runs. Your glove better be really damn good. But the only reason he's getting all those votes is because he wasn't that good of a hitter. And the reason I'm saying that is because Derek Jeter was one vote away from being our second unanimous Hall of Famer, and he was awful defensively. So defense really only matters to these voters if you're not good at the other aspects of the game. It's a it's a nice icing on top to get you over the edge um, if you're really on the cusp. But I think that the the amazing field. I mean, Tory Hunter is going to be on the ballot next year too, and I think he should be, in my opinion, a one through three ballot Hall of Famer. But it's because he was able to hit on top of his amazing fielding, which is why I think that. No, that's a great point because, like you kind of just alluded to, I have no idea how the hell uh, Omar Vizquel is being considered a Hall of Famer. He is like, you know, 40 plus war, but he played for 24 years. He hit over 300 once in his career. And yeah, he's got like 2,800 hits, but it's over 24 seasons. And I think it just gets to that point where these, the good guy factor, you said, these guys get remembered long after, like, oh, he was such a great clubhouse guy. He had the, you know, the, 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 the mythics of playing in the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, and the 2010s. And he was a good defender, which. Yeah, I mean, he was a good player, but it was kind of like more of a gadget player, I guess you could say, that played for a long time. And for me, that shouldn't be Hall of Fame worthy. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you there. Um, and like I said, Manny, I'd, I'd throw him in there once the, the door is open. Um, but I just don't. I think they're not going to let him all in at once either. And I don't think they're going to let Sosa in at all. But that kind of moves me to our next segment. We are a Cubs and White Sox podcast, so we want to talk about the Cubs and White Sox that were up for the ballot, some of them not as known um, but I'm going to start with the Cubs. Sosa, 
13.9%, Soriano 1.5%, and Carlos Pena 0%. Doesn't look like any of them are going to get in. I could make an argument for a couple of them more Soriano and Sosa. Definitely Sosa. That's just kind of where the Cubs were at. But how about the Sox? Which White Sox were on the ballot this time around, and will they be back next time? So, yeah, there was actually a, a really large amount of White Sox on this ballot, which was surprising because, honestly, when I read through it, I saw four, and then it just kept piling up. So going through the list, we had Manny Ramirez at 28.2% of the vote, so he's still on the ballot. Uh, Sammy Sosa at 139 he's still on the ballot. Uh, and then we got some other guys. Uh, Andrew Jones, he's actually still on the ballot, too, at 19.9. And Vizquel is still on the ballot at 52.6. From there, we get the guys that dropped off. Adam Dawn at 0.3% with one vote. JJ Putz at 0.3% with one vote. And my, uh, you know, uh, it hurts me to say this, but it's completely right and deserved. Paul Konerko with 2.5% dropping him off the ballot forever until Jerry Reinsdorf strong arms him into the Hall of Fame in 20 years if he's still alive. So, unfortunate, but... As I've said before, Paul Konerko is not a Hall of Famer. The Hall of Fame should be for those generational players, not for guys I really liked. That's why teams retire jerseys. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you as much as it uh, hurts the Southsiders, and I liked Paulie too. So um, I think he deserves a jersey retirement, even though that would mean that my favorite number 14 is not to be used on the North and the South side, but that's more of a personal thing than anything else. Um, and Soriano and Carlos Pena fall from the uh, the ballot. You made an argument for Scott Rowland to be in. I think that same argument even more needs to be made for Al- Alfonso Soriano to get in. For e- Either let them both in, which I think Rowland's going to get in, or obviously Soriano is off the ballot, so he's not going to get in. If you compare the statistics, right, Scott Rowland, uh, 281 home runs, or what was it, 316 home runs, he batted 281. Soriano batted 270 a little bit less, but he had 412 home runs, and he was also a member of the 40-40 club, so 40 home runs, 40 stolen bases, um, and he played for a long time too. But the Soriano statistically better hitter, but it, it is his defense that's keeping him out of consideration. But for it to account for over 30% and to not be on the ballot, I think is a bit ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I think you know he had a he had a good couple of years for a long time, and you kind of forget some of those early years with the Yankees and the Nationals. Soriano put up when he was still playing second base, which makes you think you know it was so obvious how bad defensively he was in left. But had he stayed at second, how would that have affected his career? I guess you know that's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, and if you think about the second baseman that the Cubs had while he was there, it wasn't like they had any studs. You know, they had mm-hmm. like Mike Fontenot. They uh, they occasionally threw Terry over there, but nothing too crazy. Todd Walker was over there, I think, at the same time. But it's like, why didn't they just play him at second base? Like, I don't know. I don't understand. Uh, I guess the Nationals started playing him in the outfield, yeah. and he, he probably preferred to play in the outfield for some odd reason. I mean, that kind of bad at second base, uh, you can only imagine how many All-Star games, whatnot, Silver Sluggers he would have racked up. I think Soriano's bat will make it into the Hall of Fame because I think it's the heaviest bat ever used <laughs> besides, like, maybe Babe Ruth. But I, like, much like Kurt Schilling's sock is in the Hall of Fame and he is not, I think if an article of your clothing gets in, you should at least get on the ballot for at least three or four years. That's fair. At least it, get, it gets you, like, a, a revival in case you come off and you get put back on for another year. Yeah, then you get the sock back, right? <laughs> Like once 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 you're officially, I mean, Chilling, I think we'll get in eventually. Yeah. He he does not get the cool guy points by the the writer's account, so not a one. Um, <laughs> no, um, but that does not take away from his career as a whole. At least it shouldn't. Um, so we were kind of floating around an idea of the possibility of giving a golden ticket to one of the snubs, 
it's pretty much the uh, surviving tribal council immortality kind of thing that will uh, allow a player who did not get in this year to get in in the eyes, of course, of the Shulisco podcast. So, Pat, who are you saving from snubbage? So I am, uh, you know, it, it took, there were a couple guys I thought about for this. You know, I could have used it on Paul Canerco, but like I said, I don't think he's quite deserving of all of things. But So I'm using it on another White Sox legend, and that is Sammy Sosa. I kind of talked about him already in my thoughts. You know, he, the numbers, I'll start there. 600 home runs. He had three seasons with 60 or more home runs, which is just insane. So that kind of checks the boxes of excellence throughout his career in a, you know, historic level seasons. But the main reason, which I did allude to earlier, is that the 19, I can't stress the importance of his home run race in 1998 and the late 90s in general. Like baseball was in terrible shape where it was losing interest. The NFL was gaining popularity. The NBA was gaining popularity with Michael Jordan. And baseball was falling apart. It had the labor strike in the middle of the decade. You know, you were starting to get rumblings about steroids, but nobody really cared until 2004 when Game of Shadows came out, so I won't talk about that. Um, but, th- like, this, that home run race is what brought interest back on. It's kind of, you know, the parallels to Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle back in the 60s. It was the same exact thing there. America loves the home run, and that those seasons were just like magical to watch. It was kind of like you would just check the newspaper, like how many home runs did Mark McGuire hit, how many did Sammy Sosa hit. Everybody at the game, you were just waiting for him to get those home runs, do the bunny hop, walk into first. And I think a big part of the Hall of Fame, like we talked about, it's a museum. It's not meant to be like you know the super strict place. It's supposed to take these guys that are integral to the history of the game and you can't, like I say, can't tell the story of baseball without. And to me, Sammy Sosa is 100% that definition. Um, we often talk about like being mad about the guys that don't get in. I, to me, the guys that get in, it's, I don't really care. If they get in, great. It's not that big of a deal. But like, so Sammy Sosa is one of those guys that like, you, like, it just makes no sense to me. And the fact that he's still so low on the ballot is absolutely insane because anybody, almost anybody else because uh, Barry Bonds is on the list, that had 600-plus home runs would be on a fir- the first ballot. So to me, Sammy Sosa easily is the one guy, if I had to put into the Hall of Fame, do a Jerry Reinsdorf, Harold Baines special and get him in, to me it's Sammy Sosa. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that 100%. I went a different route with this one, as you could probably convey by, uh, or you know, figure out by how I've been talking about him. Mine's Billy Wagner. Highest strikeout rate in MLB history. I mean... He was seeing only one at a time, but he was striking guys out. He His K-9 through is like 11.3 or something insane like that. Um, so seventh highest war of any reliever ever, and more strikeouts than Mariano Rivera. So he had a, a slightly worse ERA and more strikeouts than the, apparently the king of strikeouts. Um, I mean, if you just you know take away the numbers, look at his stuff. He was throwing high 90s like almost his entire career. Like nonstop, he played for a long ass time for a bunch of different teams. Was successful everywhere he went. I think you know Houston, Mets, Phillies, a couple other teams, um, maybe the Blue Jays. I'm not really sure. Um, but in any case, how you keep this guy out, but then have a guy whose stats are somewhat better in some areas but worse in others is a unanimous Hall of Famer. That just blows my mind. I heard someone say last year when Mariano Rivera got in, of course he's unanimous. He helped all of the writers make their deadlines, which I thought was kind of funny. But so did Billy Wagner, and actually Billy Wagner did it faster, you know? He was getting K's. He wasn't walking anybody. So Billy Wagner is my golden ticket. I He got in the 30s this year. Um, it's only his, I think, fourth or fifth year, so he's got a little bit of time. And 
I think they'll let him in, and I, I, but I think they'll let him in around like the eighth or ninth year, maybe even the tenth, just to say like, oh, why does it take till the ninth or tenth to for people to actually research the player? That's what blows my mind in this whole process. No, I'm I'm on board with you there, and I know we've done a lot of agreeing on this episode, but uh, you've been a Billy Wagner truthers for the last couple of years, and I personally had not had him on my ballot before, but this year, like you said, I did a little bit of digging and. I know some people, like I said earlier, they don't like putting relievers in the Hall of Fame because they're like, oh, he went out there and threw one inning, so why does he get more of a break than Cliff Lee? And, like, you know, if you're comparing a war. But, like, it's a position, it's an integral position in the game, and Mariano Rivera is, no pun intended, revered as this legend because if he pitched one inning a game. Uh, And like you said, Billy Wagner, his K per 9 was 11.9. It was almost 12 over his entire career, which is absolutely insane. And to me, the only thing you can do is compare him to the other relievers that are in the Hall of Fame. And outside of saves, he blows them all out of the water. That being said, the one thing I will say, I have no idea what we're going to do in like 15 years when we have guys like Josh Hader, Araldis Chapman, uh, Craig Kimbrell, all these high strikeout dominant relievers going into the Hall of Fame. Because that's going to be an interesting you know, uh, discussion when those guys get there. Because their numbers are similar to Billy Wagner's. So, you know, I guess Wagner's kind of an interesting case study to see where we're going to be in about, you know, 2030, 2035. So that's something I got my eyes on in the future. Yeah, and they say that I've heard a couple of these writers, in fact, people who get votes say that all relievers are just failed starters. And that may be true, but they're they're pitching probably 40% of the innings, maybe 35% of the innings in the entire game. And if guys are, you know hitting home runs in those seven eight nine and those home runs count for something off these guys and they get you know they get in then then what's to stop the the pitchers that don't allow all these home runs you know you know it's like the same garbage that edgar martinez faced as a dh like and which you know i say that david ortiz is going to get in on the first ballot no problem so it all comes down to how much they like these guys but you know it's a it's not like a starter where you're out there throwing complete games but it's an it's an integral position and you in the modern baseball, like relievers are more important than ever. So I think in that regard, like you have to start treating them, you know, maybe not weight things the same as starters, but you got to start letting these guys in because teams wouldn't be competitive without them. A lot of the recent World Series champions have proven that. So for me, you know, the guy puts up better numbers than any other reliever in the hall. It's a no-brainer. Yeah, so finally I just want to shift to the process in general. Anything that you would tweak with the process? Do you like the process of the writers voting? Do you like the the fact uh, the ten year rule? Do you like the you know the veterans committee? Anything? What would you change um, if you decided to rewrite the rules of who gets in? So I'll start by saying there are a few things I do like. I did like the change from fifteen to ten years because if you're not in after ten years, like yeah, I'm sorry, it's time to move on. I like the veterans committees. Because, you know, people complain about Harold Baines, but like I said a little bit earlier, if more guys than are, like, deserving get into the Hall of Fame, I don't care. It's a museum. If more guys are going to get in, fine. Um, and, you know, it's it's a good purpose of that to catch guys that slip through the cracks. Maybe, like, Billy Wagner might. Maybe, like, you know, Sammy Sosa. But I don't think a Veterans Committee would put him in. It's And the other change I did really like is going from uh, anybody that has ever been a member of the Baseball Writers Association of America to having to actively uh, actively cover baseball in the last 10 years. I think that's important. So you have your pulse on the game. The one thing I would change, and to me this is, I think, a no-brainer, everybody's votes are public. If you have a vote that's a privilege, 
and it you know it's a privilege to the public and your vote should be made public now most people do but it really should be mandatory that if you want to vote you got to release it to the public and if you're a writer then you know go ahead fire up the keyboard and write an article defending your picks i think that i think that should be a mandatory part of getting a ballot and i think that's the main thing for me because outside of that I'm kind of at a loss for how you would change it because I don't want to increase the number of people you vote for, and I don't think you should have to vote for X amount. So to me, that's the big thing. You should have to publicly defend anything, any ballot you make. We're agreeing a lot again. I like all those changes. I look at previous years. This year, not so much. I wasn't so ticked about this year, about the guys who got snubbed and the guys that eventually got in, and this is what I kind of came to the conclusion to. I mean, Ron Sano died, and then they let him in right after he died. Mm-hmm. Well, why was he more deserving of being in the Hall of Fame, you know, 30 years after his career ended than the day he hung up the cleats? The stats did not change, okay? The system they have now in place is good for marketing and hype and everything like that, but I would love a system where it's you get one shot, yes or no. You're in or you're out. And that would make people's vote really matter. Mm-hmm. Five years, you know, let everyone digest someone's career. Five years after you retire, you're automatically put in. There's going to be a lot more. The, the ceremony is going to take a lot longer if, you know, if you only get one vote to get in. Um, it's a little drastic, obviously. That also opens the door to, like, pettiness. So if, like, you, you know, let's say people don't like Sammy Sosa, well, they start getting a group of their friends together to vote no, and then he never has a chance to get in again. So that's why this system works sometimes, mm-hmm. in fact, more often than not. My other problem with it that I would change, and I, these are all writers, I don't think it should be all writers. I think all of the hall, living Hall of Famers should get a vote as well. If you ask every single pitcher that faced Barry Bonds if he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, every single one of them, every single Hall of Fame pitcher will say yes. They should have the, the current uh, player's vote as well. I think that's important. Um, and finally... If you said no to anybody who ever eventually got in, I think you should use your platform as a writer to apologize. If we're talking unanimous Hall of Famers, there were people that voted no to Ken Griffey. There are people that voted no to Greg Maddox. And there are people that, one guy that voted no to Derek Jeter. Now it's time to you know, show your face, face the music, and tell the guy at least why you think he didn't deserve to be in or apologize if you think he did and you were just waiting on him. Yeah, I agree with that. That that is a cool take though, kind of like a Heisman thing where anybody who's in gets a vote. I think that's a you know I think that's a good t- twist because I think the writers kind of have this thing where it's like they, they kind of take it upon themselves to be the moral gatekeeper of the Hall of Fame, and I think that's there's the character clause, sure, but that's not really the point. It's to tell us it's to tell a story, right or wrong, good or bad. That's what it's about. And you know we've talked about the steroid users, but it's not like we're gonna go back and get these guys out, pull them out, the ones that were in the you know 60s, 70s that were doing greenies or whatever there was then. You know, it's just, it's, it's just, I've always said it, you know, it's the point of the Hall of Fame is to tell a story. You can't just erase years because you don't like people. Like, that's stupid. I think that pretty much sums up everything we wanted to talk about, Pat. That concludes the Hall of Fame edition. Again, we will record a uh, off-season review, Cubs, Sox, MLB, uh, Astros, Red Sox, all that crazy stuff this weekend. We're going to cover it. Uh, we're going to end the episode the way we always end the episode, Pat, was with a question you don't know. So, Pat, I have to ask you, who is the next unanimous Hall of Famer? Oh, if there ever even is one. That's tough. Um, I guess I don't have in front of me who's going to be in the ballot the next couple of years. Um, I will say Mike Trout should be. 
should. Um, maybe because he plays in LA, he won't. But I'm going to go with a little bit of a hot take and say it's going to be David Ortiz. I just have a feeling he's going to be unanimous because people loved him, which I don't agree with, but you know what, whatever. He's he's kind of like Derek Jeter for me. I, I don't really like him. I was never a big fan, but he's a Hall of Famer. You can't really slice it any other way. But I kind of see him going unanimously. Yeah, it kind of makes me sick, but uh, I kind of see that only only because Ichiro retired this year. I think Ichiro's a Hall of Famer. Yep, yeah. Yeah, well, he's, um, he's absolutely obviously, unanimous. I think he's a unanimous Hall of Famer. He has the most hits in baseball history. Um, if you count in Japan, if you ask Pete Rose, he'll say no, but nobody's really asking Pete Rose for anything unless it is Hall of Fame time. <laughs> so um, we won't get into Pete Rose, though. Uh, I will just say that I think Ichiro will be a unanimous Hall of Famer. If he is the next one, we will see. But in any case, that concludes the episode. You can hear us on Spotify, lmbfsports.com. You can check us out at for the time being. There might be some changes in the future with that being said. Everybody remember, and it's, it's especially important to say this, given that we're talking about the Hall of Fame, Yadi Molina is not a Hall of Famer. Go Cubs, go White Sox, go baseball. Take care. Come on, baby, don't you make me laugh.